<clears throat> so we've been in a series uh, that I started at the beginning of May called Identity Matters, and I think I wanted to push into a topic like this because I feel like the issue of identity is something that we all, as a culture, I feel like are struggling with um, probably more than anything else. When, when I boil everything down to all the different um, issues, struggles that I talk to people about or other people talk to other people about, it seems somewhere along the lines it comes back to what they believe as their identity. And I think this week is a great week because what I want to press into a little bit are the obstacles or if you want to use another word, lies that we tend to believe about our identity. These are the things that, that when we looked a couple weeks ago in Ephesians chapter 1, that these are the way that God sees us. He sees us as chosen. He sees us as forgiven. He sees us without fault. He sees us as valued. These are our true identity qualities that we don't always tend to wake up and see, but it's the way that God sees us. So now we have to dive in maybe to a little more sensitive of a topic because we don't always like to be honest with ourselves about our identity in the way that we truly see ourselves. Because what it's going to bring up is stuff that we've told ourselves for a, lie, a while that are lies that that's the way we operate. You know, somebody may have said something along the lines in your life that has marked you, and so that's how you believe yourself. You know, there's different students that I've heard, you know, somebody comes along the lines and says something like, oh, you know, you have a dad bod, and that marks them now. And so their identity they live out of, I've got to be thinner. I've got to be more. I've got to exercise more. It's like people tell us things all the time that mark our identity, and so then we live out of that identity, and it goes further and further from the way that God sees us. So how do we begin to dive into the obstacles and prepare to see ourselves the way God sees us. But I think what's interesting is, you know, it is an obstacle. It's an obstacle in our life. And I think about, um, as we're talking a little bit about Willow, uh, for a while she was kind of rolling around, maybe crawling a little bit, and so it wasn't too big of a problem for us to kind of leave the house just how it was. And probably about two or three months ago, we said, we got to start, we got to start baby-proofing this house a little bit because she's all over the place and we don't want her to get hurt. So what we first start is we get a, we get a gate at the top of our stairs. We, we live in like a split level, and so we've got our upstairs, and you go down some steps, and we got our living room and kitchen, then you go down some more steps. We've got this lower living room and a bathroom, and then more steps. It's the basement. So we said, let's just start with a gate at the top of the steps. So that works. And so now she's crawling around and going all through the house, and then when she gets to these gates, she stands up and she shakes them like this. And it's because now she has an obstacle that she can't just go down the steps or go up the steps that, like she would want to or normally would because there's an obstacle in the way of her being able to do that. So we got that gate up. And then we said, okay, we're going to start bringing her down more downstairs because she's getting old enough. She can be around Coda, our dog, and be able to handle herself. So we're going to start bringing her down the living room. Well, now we've got an issue because now we got the other steps. So we put the other gate up, and she does the same thing, right? into our kitchen going downstairs and she goes over to it and she stands up and shakes because now there's an obstacle in the way of her being able to do what she wants to do. Then we had the other problem. You know, you think about the stairs going down, you don't think about the stairs going up. 
So now that she's in the living room more, she wants to crawl up the steps. And so it's like we got a gate at the top of the steps, but now we had to put another like temporary gate at the bottom of the steps. And she stands on this one. This one isn't like metal like the other two. It's like a wooden one. And so she grabs onto the little wooden bar and she shakes it. And it kind of moves a little bit because it's not in the wall like the other one. I think she likes that because it moves and she thinks she's getting it loose. But again, there's still another obstacle. And the last obstacle of our baby proofing of the house are all the little cabinet locks. It's a pain in the butt when you're the one that has to get in the cabinets because you got to turn all these locks and do all these different things. But we got all these locks now on our cabinets. And so she goes up to them. And the way that we have them is there's like this little piece with like a slit in it that the hook goes into so that when you pull the drawer open, it like hooks on it and it doesn't go out more than like that far. So now she stands at the cabinets and shakes them like this because she wants to get them open. But the reason I say all these things is because everything that Willow wants to do, there's now an obstacle in the way for her to be able to do what she wants to do. And so in order for her to get to what she wants to do, whether it's go up the stairs, down the stairs, get in the cabinet, is she's got to get around the obstacle, which she doesn't know how to do yet. And I think sometimes when it comes to our identity, it is we try to childproof our identity the way that God sees us and we put all these locks up and these gates up so I don't get any of these lies in. And then, then a lie slips in into our identity and we don't know how to navigate through the obstacle of getting over that. And so it's trapped in there and we're kind of like a little baby that's like, we want this lie out of here, but we don't know what to do. We don't know how to navigate it. And so I want to talk in two different verses, one in Genesis chapter 3, a uh, passage we know where I'll start and then I'll go to 1 Corinthians chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 10 because I want to begin to attack these ways that we see ourselves, these obstacles in our identity so that we can begin to see ourselves as God sees us. But in Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, it says this, story we all know, but it says, Now the serpent was the shrewdest of all, all the creatures the Lord God had made. Really, he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat of any of the fruit in the garden? Of course we may eat it, the woman told him. It's only the fruit from the tree at the center of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God says we must not eat it or even touch it or we will die. You won't die, the serpent hissed. God knows that your eyes will be open when you eat it. You'll become just like God, knowing everything, both good and evil. So just to give a quick backstory, if you don't know, we're jumping right in the middle of the story. God creates man and woman, puts them in this garden called Eden, and he says, you have all the freedom you want to be able to eat from any tree except this one tree. As I've always said when I talk about this passage, it seems like more often in our lives than not, the thing that we can't have, we want the most. And so this whole time, this tree's there, they're kind of thinking about it, maybe sometimes they pass it, oh, that's the tree we're not supposed to eat from. Then the serpent comes along. Satan, the devil, the one that's trying to lead us away from Jesus. And he comes and he starts talking to Eve and he says, Did God really say you can't eat from this tree? And he begins to get into the mental state of Eve. It's not just handing it right to her and saying, Eat this. He begins to dive into the mind and says, I'm going to try to do it this way. And he takes a little bit of truth and coats it in this lie to try to get her to begin to think, does, is God really holding out on me? Does God truly love me that, that he's going to make me not be able to eat from this one tree? 
And so he begins to get in there a little bit. And if you look over in First or Second Corinthians chapter ten, I have to share this as I keep talking because I think it's good to understand this. In Second Corinthians chapter ten, verses three through five, a verse verses you've probably heard before, it says this. I can flip there. It says. We are human, but we don't wage war with human plans and methods. We use God's mighty weapons, not mere worldly weapons, to knock down the devil's stronghold. With these weapons, we break down every proud argument that keeps people from knowing God. With these weapons, we conquer their rebellious ideas, and we teach them to obey Christ. The basis of the the verse that you probably heard is take every thought captive. Take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. So now let's throw this into the story. Satan is trying to get Eve to eat from this fruit. But the way that Satan gets into our hearts and lives is through a warfare that's not physical. So he gets into our minds and does a mental, spiritual warfare where he says, I'm going to begin to get them to change how they think, try to get them to go against God through their thinking, not by necessarily the physical. And I thought what was very interesting, I was actually talking to Seth about this on Friday, is if you look down when he's telling this to Eve, it says this in verses 4 and I think it's 4 and 5, or no, number 6. The woman was convinced the fruit looked fresh and delicious and it would make her wise. I know it's a very small word that you may not pay attention to, but did you see and catch that word looked? So what happens now is Satan is trying to play a mental warfare game, and Eve is trying to fight it physically. Because now it's not, well, she's, she's not playing back in her head, okay, should I really follow God on this? Or is, Satan really, or is this serpent really being truthful? He says, is it really the, a big deal that you eat this fruit? And Eve then immediately looks at it and says, wow, this might be something that's good. And what happens so much when it comes to our identity is that we're fighting a war just like Eve, where we physically are trying to combat or a different way that that we're combating our identity than we should. And we're not doing it from the mental state. We're not waging war by taking thoughts captive to make them obedient to Christ so that we can live out of an identity that Christ sees us. And so we fight from a different standpoint. Well, you're fat. And so now I live out of the identity that I'm fat, and so now I exercise all the time, and now I work from that physical side. When we should rather get into the mental state and go, is that true? Is that a true identity of how God sees us? Well, we fight it from the physical. You see, the problem and the reason that we have an identity and obstacles in our identity that keep us from seeing ourselves how God sees us is because we try to fight an identity battle from a way that's not the way it should be fought. We don't want to fight the mental way of taking thoughts captive, looking to the truth and see, does this match up with the identity that Christ has given me? And if it doesn't, then I don't need to listen to it. All Eve had to do was look at the serpent and say, no, this is what God told me. He said, don't eat from this tree, so I'm not going to. Yet there was something about the serpent 
that got in her head, and instead of fighting it the way that he was fighting it, she fought it from a physical side. And she goes, wow, that, that actually might look good. It actually looks really good to eat. And so she doesn't take her thoughts captive and then leads to the rest of chapter 3 where sin enters into the world and now we have a distorted view of who we are. I was listening to a pastor one time who I think gives a very good illustration if you're trying to understand this verse, um, taking every thought captive. Because if you really look at it, there's a ridiculous amount of number of thoughts that we have in a day. It's, it's crazy how many thoughts we have in a day. But he said, if you look, and, and all of us know this, it's, it's annoying, I hate it, but there seems that all over the internet where we're at all the time now, there's pop-up ads. Pop-up ads that, that come on, they're trying to get us to buy something, they're trying to get us to do something, and we don't want to do it, but it pops up anyways. Believe it or not, every pop-up ad does have an X somewhere. Sometimes it takes a few seconds for the X to pop up in the corner of it or in a different spot on it. Sometimes it's just there, but they get it to where it blends in. Sometimes they make it really, really small so that you can't see it. But if you look real closely, there is an X button that you can click out of. And in that moment, then when an ad pop-up ad comes up, you have to make a decision. You can either look around for the X and exit out so you don't go into the pop-up ad and you don't keep getting more pop-up ads, or you look at it and goes, well, actually, that's kind of cool. I've never seen that, or that's an interesting drink. I better click on it and see what's in it. And so you click on it, and then it takes you to another page. But what's amazing about it is there's always a way out of the pop-up ads. There's always a way out. You just got to look for it. And that's the way that I see our thoughts sometimes, is that all these thoughts pop up in our head like pop-up ads. And there's always an X button in those thoughts. You have the ability to X out in that thought. You have your identity, well, you're, no, you're just a failure. There's a thought that's in your head. The pop-up ad has come. Now you have to make the decision, will I click on that pop-up ad or will I exit out? Because the reality is with so many different thoughts coming into our mind each and every day, we don't have the ability to just always be thinking about our thoughts. But you are going to notice when there is a thought that's in your head that doesn't match up. If I say something to you and in the busyness of your day that, that is a thought that doesn't match up, you're going to be jolted a little bit. There's going to be something in you that goes, I don't know if that's right. And those are the moments where we have to take the thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. Well, how do you do that? Well, you match it up with Scripture. So you do something wrong, and so they call you a failure, and you say, well, I'm just a failure. So you live out of that identity as a failure. And, and how do I make that obedient to Christ? Well, you go to Ephesians chapter 1, the passage we used a few weeks ago. And you look and you say, okay, does this match up with how Christ sees me? Is this part of my identity? No, Jesus says I'm forgiven. So I click out of that pop-up ad. That's gone. The biggest obstacles to our identity are lies, believe it or not. They're things that people or Satan himself will tell us who we are. And the problem is, is we don't like to click X on the pop-up ad more often. And so somebody says something. And we may not even think it's a big deal right now in our identity. And then we click on it. And for six years, 10 years, 15 years, we've always lived that way. 
because it's been an obstacle in our identity and we've never matched it up to the truth of how God sees us. All these people that are out there, especially in the world that we have today, in this whole sexual kind of exploration of what's my identity and what's my gender and what's my sexuality, is if you talk to these people, there's something along the lines that has messed with their identity and now they don't know who they are. And they've lived out of that identity and it's pushing them to wherever they want to go to hopefully find satisfaction and make them feel like their identity should be this. We need to be able to help people understand that if we're going to fight an identity war, it's not a physical fight. This is a fight that we have to fight mentally. This is a fight we have to fight with with spiritual aspects. It's not a fight we can just work harder. It's not a fight we can just try harder. It's taking our thoughts captive. It's putting ourselves in the shoes of Eve as the devil looks at us and says, this is your identity. And you being able to say, is this match up with the truth of Scripture? It doesn't, so I'm not even going to listen to that. Because we keep letting more and more of those lies in, and there's so much that we now have to uncover with people. And it's funny because once you begin to uncover these things, what I found in my own life is that life seems to be a lot more enjoyable. Because I'm not living out of an identity that's not how Jesus sees me. But yet, what I've also found more interesting is that more and more people don't want to let go of that identity because then they don't know who they are anymore. And so they live out of that fake identity because it's who they've become. So if I let that go, who am I anymore? Well, I've always been, you know, for me in high school, you know, I was the smoker, the pothead. It's like, well, if I let that go, who am I anymore? I know it's not the right identity, but that's just who I've become. And so if I let that go, then I'm nobody anymore. At least I'm known for something. And the reality is, is that when you begin to take those thoughts captive and live out of a true identity of who you are, the obstacles begin to get cleared out of your identity and you begin to live life to the fullest because that's what Jesus came to do. In John chapter 10, he said, I came to give you life and life to the fullest and you will never enjoy life more than when you live out of an identity that Christ has given you. So I challenge you. I challenge you as you look at your identity even this week. Because some of us may sit here and go, yeah, yeah, I get it, Taylor. Um, And you won't do anything with it. Each of us, I guarantee, even still in my own life, have parts of our identity that we've put obstacles in the way. And so we don't see ourselves truly as God sees us. You're still carrying around that mistake you made six years ago, even though God says you're forgiven. Nobody wants you as a friend or or a boyfriend or a girlfriend, and so you carry that around, and yet God says, I see you as valued, that you are so valuable that I sent my son to die on a cross for you to purchase you to be mine. You are valued. Imagine what we could do if each of us, even just in here today, lived out of an identity of how we're truly seen by Christ and went to other people to help them see themselves as Christ saw them. We would have a generation that could make a serious difference in this world. But it takes some work, 
and it takes more work at the beginning because we have to begin to clear those obstacles out. We, we don't want to be like Willow who's trying to get out of there to just do what she wants to do because she can't figure out how to get over the obstacle that's in her life. We know how, but the problem is we often don't wage the war the way that it's supposed to be waged when it comes to our identity. We just do it from a physical side like Eve did. And we need to do it by taking thoughts captive. And so I end with this. Um, In our house here, right behind the church where we used to live, right before we moved, there was this weird thing I've never had happen in my shower. But um, I get in the shower, and it literally feels like I'm I'm standing on a waterbed. It's like kind of squishy in my shower. I don't understand what is wrong. Um, but I'm like, this is kind of weird. And me being still, um, I don't think I was dating Shannon at the time. If I was, we had just started or just started talking. Um, so still kind of living that bachelor lifestyle. I'm like, well, until I think it's a big problem, um, I'm just going to kind of let it go because I have no idea what this is. And so slowly time kept going past. And eventually there was this big like hump almost in my shower. And it's weird to explain. It's like if this floor was the bottom of my shower there was like this hump on the floor in my shower I had no idea what it was so I'm like okay and also at the same time in my shower I I, I had a, a plug kind of on the drain like in a sink where it kind of came up so water could go down when you took a shower and you could put it down when if you want to take a bath I just said forget it because I just never take baths so I just ripped the thing out so it was just a drain so it always just drained down and it was also filling up in my tub as I was standing there and so I was so confused. I, I, I'm like, you know, the solution to, to my bachelor life was always go get Drano and pour it down there and hopefully something happens. And so finally, after a little while, I was, I was tired of this hump happening in my shower. And so I called, uh, called uh, my cousin Phil and I said, hey, can you come look at this? Because I have no idea what this is. So he stops over and he gets in my shower. He's got his boots on and he said, I've never seen this. And he's like stepping on it and it literally feels like a waterbed. So he starts looking a little bit, and and he said, you know, the only thing I can think of is that there was some cracks kind of in the the ceiling around the tub, and he said it kind of, the only thing I can kind of come to a conclusion is that there's water that's kind of come down in those cracks, and now there's water underneath your tub. So there's like water bubbles all through the tub. And so he told me what he was going to do, and I'm like, okay. So um, he goes out to his truck. He kind of gets this like knife and he starts cutting kind of around the drain because what he was going to do is he was going to stand and hopefully kind of just like squeeze the water out he was going to stand kind of on it on the bubble and like push it and hopefully like the water would kind of come out where he had cut the hole and then it wouldn't have to be because if he couldn't get it out he's like i'm gonna have to replace the whole tub like this thing's shot and so he cuts out the thing and he pushes the water out and it all works out good but what was even more disgusting he wasn't even phased by this because he said he sees it kind of all the time, is where he cut, he pulls up the drain, the whole drain, because he was um, kind of cutting around the drain so it wouldn't be a huge hole. And I'm telling you, probably a hairball like this big, he pulls out of that drain of, of just stuff that has kind of like came together over the years, and I thought it was disgusting. And he was just like, yep, this is probably why your water's not draining. I'm like, yeah, I would say so. But the whole time, it's like I was so worried about 
why this water wasn't going down the drain. And the problem was there was something blocking the way so that the water could drain down the way it was supposed to. Many of us want to give our identity some Drano. We think, well, we'll just pour it down there and hopefully it'll clear it up and then we'll be all good. But there's a deeper issue underneath that we don't always look to. And so that's what I challenge you to do this week. Go look at your identity. See what's obstructing it from seeing yourselves as God sees you by taking your thoughts captive, matching them up with Scripture, and fighting a war the way that it's supposed to be fought. You want to begin to get the obstacles of your identity out of the way so that you see yourself as Christ does. Take every thought captive. So...